Welcome to the Top Business Leaders Podcast. You'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more and to download our show notes, go to topbusinessleaders.com. I'm pleased to welcome Mark Levy, my old friend and uh, mentor, to our program today. Welcome, Mark. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Dan. Thanks so much. So uh, I'm Mark Levy, and I am a differentiation consultant. So what I do is I help people differentiate their businesses or political movements or books or speeches or Broadway shows or TV shows or things. It's what's distinct about this, what's different about it, and now how do you write and speak about it in a way that people get excited about that difference? How did you get into this line of work, Mark? Yeah, um, so what I did for many, many years, for 14 years or so, I was a director and a salesperson at, a, at book distributors and book wholesalers. And so what we do is we buy millions of dollars worth of books from Random House and Doubleday and places like that. And we'd sell them to bookstores, right? To Borders, to independent bookshops, to Amazon, all kinds of things. And so the, the interesting thing about books is that books in a way are commodity. So the copy of the new Stephen King novel that I have is the same copy that my competitors have. And by the way, my clients probably have it too. Nevertheless, I helped sell a billion dollars worth of books when I was doing that gig at the book wholesaler. And so very, very quickly, I was able to size up whether books should sell, why they should sell, what's the story behind them, what was happening in the world that would make a book sell or not sell, right? It became something of a skill of mine. So what I did after doing that business for 14 years, reaching the top of my field, I then jumped and started to work for myself. And essentially what it is I do is I look at people's businesses or whatever it is they're trying to differentiate. And I look at them as if it's a book, like even if it's a business or a TV show or something, it's like, here's this book that Dan Janelle has written you know, his business. Here's the book. Now, what's the main idea of this quote unquote book? What are the ancillary ideas that he's been using? What are the stories he's using? And could we put two ideas together that he hasn't put together and make a new idea? Or could we move one of the ancillary ideas or stories around to the fore? And would that make a better selling book? So that's how I began this work going from the world of the book wholesaler of selling books to just being a positioning guy and a differentiation guy, just looking at human beings and their businesses and their shows as if they're books. And how would I sell those? Now, Mark, I know you've written a couple of books yourself. How have those books helped position yourself to get more clients? Yeah. Um, so the first book, let's see, it's not the first book I wrote, but the first book I, I wrote by myself in the year 2000 was uh, my best-selling book, Accidental Genius, Using Writing to Generate Your Best Ideas, Insight, and Content. And the interesting thing about that book is it was the first book of its kind when it came out. 
it actually showed business people how to use a form of freestyle journaling as a way to create solutions to their business problems. No one had ever shown business people how to journal their way into solutions before. It just hadn't been done. It was a technique that I used all the time uh, as, as a writer. And the interesting thing about that book is when it first came out, and I may be off by a year or something like that, when it fir- the first edition, it's been a couple editions, uh, when it first came out, I was 39, I was, yeah, 39 years old when it was first released. And the interesting thing was um, when I would do interviews, and I, every, not a week would go by where someone, an interviewer or a fan or someone, they would call me a genius. Like for years, people were calling me a genius. And that's because on the cover of the book in giant letters, it said, accidental genius, Mark Levy. Right? My name, I didn't mean this to happen. It was associated with genius. Let me tell you, the first 38 years of my life, I was at least as smart as I was on that 39th year. And I may have been even smarter when I was younger than when I released that book. But I had never, ever been called a genius once. It had never, ever happened. It's only because I unintentionally stuck my name with it. So that was a lesson to me in unintentional branding. But I think the people listening to this can be more intentional about it, is that whatever your book is that you're thinking of writing, if you couple it with your name, you will become known as that thing. So be very intentional about what it is that your book is called or what it is, the promise of your book, what you purport to do, because people are going to associate those things. They're going to associate you with an idea. So you have to be very intentional about that idea. Fascinating. So how did you get clients from your book? How did you market the book or how did you market your services because of the book? Oh, um, so I would, let's see, how did I get clients from my book? Well, I would often do keynote speeches and seminars and things around what the book was about. Um, People would, fans of the book would actually hire me based on the book. They would seek me out for individual coaching. Um, I wouldn't say that, that there was anything particularly unusual for me to share there. The only thing that I'll say is, so my book has now been out for 19 years as we're recording this in a couple of different editions. And now, even though it had been a bestseller in paperback, uh, now it totally, the, uh, the Kindle or the ebook version so outweighs the paperback version. You know, people, I'll encounter people in the street and they'll ask me about myself or so. And I'll say, oh yeah, and I wrote a book, Accidental Genes. And they'll say, I have that on my Kindle right now. And they'll show it to me or something. They get very excited. So, so people who are thinking of writing a book out there, yeah, the physical book is important. People like physical books and you can use them as, you know, like to send to CEOs and things but do not overlook the e-book version of what it is because you'll be over. My book several times in the past few years for the publisher has been a bestseller in the, in the Kindle version. It has not in the paperback version in the past few years. Why do you think that is? 
Um, I just think because of the because of these e-readers, I think that these books just have a whole new life. It's as if they're new books. Mm -hmm. That's your, so the paperback version of the book is an old book now. The last edition was 2010, but the new format just makes it seem, you know, like it's something brand new. Did you have to do any kind of special marketing to promote the, the new version or the ebook? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, it's, it's in the, on its own. Yeah, yeah, it just took off on its own. It's also, by the way, an audible book. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's read by, uh, who's that wonderful actor from the TV series Perfect Strangers who played Balky? Yeah, so he reads it. He reads it, and uh, but the interesting thing, like he does an amazing job. I kind of wanted to read it because I fancy myself as a public speaker, and I wanted to have myself reading it. But of course, if I'm not going to read it, having him read it, he's so brilliant, you know, was wonderful too. That, that's pretty cool. You know, most of my clients who write books use them as big business cards. They want to use their books to impress prospects that they are the genius, uh, maybe not accidentally, maybe on purpose, um, but the thought leader who can take them from mess to success. And the book is used as a way to show them, show prospects that they are the guide who knows uh, the territory, who can uh, show them through case studies and histories that they've been there and done that. So prospects want to work with them. Uh, they don't. Well, can, can, I inter can, can I interrupt you? Only because I have something important to say about what you just said. That's cool like the idea of using it as a business card. But um, I think maybe because I grew up with a degree in writing, so I really think of books and writing as like a very high art form in people's lives. So I always tell my clients that the real reason for doing their book, yeah, their book may make them famous. You know, I've had, you know, as you know, some of my clients, you know, these people like, you know, Simon Sinek and David Meerman Scott and whatnot, like these are, these are mega famous, mega influential, brilliant people. Like, so that's great. But also what your book is going to do for you is if you pick the right topic and you approach it in the right way, your book, writing your book is a growth experience for you. Mark Bowden, the guy who wrote Black Hawk Down and Killing Ben Laden, I think was the name of it, um, excellent writer. He once said in an interview, he said, a writer should always be working on the most ambitious thing that they've ever written. Mm -hmm. My favorite writer of all time, who died in 1989, Donald Barthelme, he was a short story writer, brilliant postmodernist short story writer. Uh, Barthelme said something like, what you need to be writing should be dangerous. <laughs> so to me, it's this idea of as you're writing, um, uh, um, it, um, let's see, Robert Frost said, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. <laughs> so that is in the writing of your book. If you're not surprising yourself coming up with new material and new stories, you're going to be bored in the writing of it. And that boredom will show through in the prose itself. And so I'm a big believer that you need to, whatever your subject is, whatever you're writing about it, you need to be changing during the writing of the book. Otherwise, you're going to fail. That's fantastic. That, that's 
very inspirational. Thank you. I'm, I'm jazzed. Um, Mark, not many people have had books that have sold for 19 years. And I'm sure there's some of my listeners who are saying, yeah, Dan talks about a big business card. It's nice, but it really would be nice to be an Amazon bestseller or a New York Times bestseller or sell books for 19 years like Mark Levy. How have you kept that book alive for 19 years? Oh, um, well, the book itself, uh, it really, it has its own fan base. You know, I'm forever getting emails from, from readers, and I'm just so grateful about how it's, how it's helped them, how they found it useful, how they, and by the way, what Accidental Genius, not to give a plug for, the, for that book in particular, but what it is, is it teaches you how to write in a way that's, that's, uh, uh, that you don't have to compromise it's how to write things that are that are like you without you having to apologize for who you are. It's a very interesting book and a very interesting technique. So it's really about writing in a way that's very honest, Can which you- is to me a, a super important point about all, all things. So people uh, respond to that idea. What were you going to say? Can you give us an example or one tip on how to write with that level of authenticity? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I don't know if this will sound inspiring to you, but trust me, listeners, if we were working on your writing together and I, I looked over a, a sentence of yours, you would see the, the power of this. It's the idea of, so for instance, on word choice, people will often use hyperbole. They'll use, you know, they call things brilliant. And there's nothing wrong with using words like that. That's fine. I use words like that all the time. I've used words like that in this conversation. But when I'm writing, I try to always pick words that are accurate. I try to let, and accurate's the key word. I try to get to real detail. What two uh, writing professors years ago, detail honest in the extreme. Let me give you an example of, uh, of what it is that these two professors had written about, these two teachers. Um, George Orwell right? Everyone knows George Orwell, right? He wrote Animal Farm. He wrote 1984. He wrote all all these books. Um, And so Orwell, before he was George Orwell, he was Eric Blair. He was a British citizen and his name was Eric Blair. And in the 1930s, he wanted to fight fascism. He lived in England, but he wanted to fight fascism. So he enlisted and he uh, he went to Spain to fight, fight fascism. And, you know, he had a helmet, he had a rifle, he was, he was a real soldier. And one day he writes about this in his diaries, it later became essays. Um, he said he was sitting there, it was early in the morning, and he saw a, everything was super quiet. And across the way, he saw almost in this parapet type of situation, he saw a German soldier stand up early in the morning. And this guy, because it was so early, he was only partially dressed. He had his pants on, but he wasn't wearing a shirt. And so this German soldier started to run across the horizon. And he was running because, you know, he was not totally dressed. He was running, holding up his pants with both hands as he was running, silhouetted. And so Orwell, or Eric Blair, raises his rifle to get him in the sights so he can shoot him. And then Orwell, or Eric Blair, whatever you want to call him, puts his rifle down. And he said, I never fired a shot. And he said, the reason why I never fired a shot, even though he had come there to fight fascism and here was a fascist running like no defense. And he said, the reason why I didn't fire a shot, 
he said, was that detail about the pants. He said, he said, I had come to Spain to kill fascists, but someone running, holding up their pants with two hands as they run is no longer a fascist. They're a human being like yourself and you don't want to kill them. And so that detail about the pants actually saved that soldier's life, right? And writing about that, when you're writing, you actually want to write about honest detail. You want to write about about the scene. Peter Elbow, the writing instructor, said, to hell with words, see something. So you actually want to write about the images, the stories, the things. You want to interject as little as possible saying, this was wonderful and this was great. And again, you can do those things. Don't, don't get me wrong. You can do that. But you really want to let the actions uh, and the honesty tell the story. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that really goes to one of the basic precepts that I've seen in all the writing books that I've read. And it goes down to the principle of, show, don't tell. And you gave a perfect example of that. That, that is true. It, across holding up his pants. So that was wonderful. That's right. It is show, don't tell. Uh, but I explained it perhaps in a bit uh, like ham-handed way. What, the way I would also, I'll tell you another quick story about this, is that one of my clients, I was coaching him on writing, and he's a brilliant innovation consultant for like top places, Hewlett Packard and so. And he sent me he wrote a blog post and in the blog post, he wrote some sentence. I don't remember the exact sentence, but it was something like all great leaders ask themselves this question before they make a decision. And he said what the question was. And I said to him, I said, I know that sounds like that should be true, but I know a lot of great leaders and I can almost guarantee you that virtually none of them ask themselves that question before they make a decision. So to me, that sounds like it should be true. It sounds very dramatic, but I don't believe you. I think you're lying. And I know, that's what I said to him. And I said, and I know you're not lying intentionally. It's just that you're lying to try to, you know, like build this trauma. And he said, you're right. He said, you're right. No, he said, yeah, it just sounded good. And the interesting thing was the next day, and this guy was very serious. He wasn't being sarcastic about it. He sent me, he said, Mark, I've attached to this email four blog posts I had written before you and I spoke yesterday. I wrote them a few weeks ago. I went through them again and I edited out, edited out all the lies. Could you please read them to make sure I didn't miss any? Mm -hmm. And I always remember that, right? So it's this idea of not only show, don't tell, but give people like, like you don't have to embellish much. It's just not necessary. You want to stay as close to the honest truth as you can. Exactly. I was working with one of my content as I'm editing or content development, development, ah, stripping over my words. Um, I'm helping a client with his book and he had a section where he said, you lost the sale because your competitor did A, B, C, D, E. And I'm saying, no, that's not true. You might have lost a sale because your competitor did that, but you also might have lost a sale because you didn't know what to do or you didn't execute the plan properly or because uh, there are factors outside of your control like congressional term limits uh, just kicked your congressman out of office or the congressional uh, session expired so all bills start back at square zero. And I, I told him that if you, it might sound good to say what he said, but if people say, no, that's not the reason, then you've lost all your credibility right up front. So you have to, 
not deal in absolutes. I think Tony Robbins has a great saying about that, you know, all and everything or whatever is just not a good place to be because you can always find exceptions. And then people love to poke holes in your arguments and your stories and you lose credibility that way. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't know that Robbins quote, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, so Mark, what, what is the biggest mistake that you find your writing clients make? And I know you've talked about a couple, but let's say one more, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up this interview. Sure. The biggest mistake that they make, uh, I would say that they want, right. I'm all about helping people come up. I write my thing is your big, sexy idea, right? That's what my thing is. It's like, I help people come up with what I call their big, sexy idea. And in order to come up with the big, sexy idea, they will often try to think so big right away that whatever the idea is that they come up with is sounds very bland and boring because they're trying to appeal to everyone at once. They want to make it so big that it, 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 it's been done many times before. It's, you know, it's just not interesting. And I say, um, uh, I quote a poet who, uh, who died in 1980, a, a Washington, uh, Washington State poet, Richard Hugo. Richard Hugo said something like, uh, said something like, write about small things, because if you have a big mind, it will show itself in writing about small things. So to me, rather than instantly starting by saying, how can I make an idea that changes society in one fell swoop? It's like, no, no. Like, what are the small things? Like, what are the things that annoy you? What are the things that surprise you? What are the things that are obvious to you? Like, let's talk about those things. Don't try for grandiosity. We may be able to make an idea much larger, but don't start off there because if you do, it's probably going to stink. Start small and let's get larger after. Don't start with large. Very clever. Mark, how can people get in touch with you? And what is, uh, what is the brilliance that you want to share with people uh, so they can get the most out of working with you? Oh, well, thank you for saying those things. I never, I, I don't think of it in that way. But so the place they can get in touch with me, my website is levyinnovation.com. That's L-E-V-Y innovation.com. And when they go there at the very top, there is a link, at least as I'm saying this right now, it's there. I don't know if we know the internet, right? Like maybe uh, 10 years from now, someone will be listening to this and it won't be there. But there's a link to an ebook that I wrote called List Making as a Tool of Thought Leadership. And it teaches you how to take the subject that you want to write about and to make five or 10 or 15 different very simple lists about that subject. Each list looks at it from a slightly different angle. Like, you know, what's right about this subject? What's wrong about this subject? It asks you, what stories do I know about this subject and so forth? And you just fill out these lists and you look from item to item and list to list and new ideas just pop up for you. Just because you're getting this information out of your head and you're rearranging it like in front of you on lists. Um, Edward Tufte said, the act of organizing information is an act of insight. So it allows you to create like these pops of insight very quickly. So if you go to leaveinnovation.com, you can contact me there. You can call me, you can email me, but make sure you download for free. List making is a tool of thought leadership. 
Thank you very much, Mark Levy, and thank you everyone for listening to our show. Thanks for listening to Top Business Leaders, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.